0: and I would like to start uh, in Acts chapter 19, and uh, let's start uh, in verse 21, and we will read down through verse 41, and uh, I'm gonna do my best to work uh, at getting uh, pretty good ways through this Bible uh, study here tonight, but Acts chapter 19, verse 21, the Bible says, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he went into Macedonia, two of them, or so he sent into Macedonia, two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season." And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which had made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsman, whom he had called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people. That's a pretty powerful statement that Demetrius says about Paul. It says his influence and impact has, has spread not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. Saying that they be no gods, which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they had heard these sayings, they were all full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! The whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him or allowed him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. And some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, and the Jews they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, ye men of Ephesus, What man is there that knoweth not how that the city of of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man the law is open and there are deputies let them implead one another but if ye inquire anything concerning other matters it shall be term it shall be determined in a lawful assembly for we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar there being no cause whereby that we may give account of this concourse, and when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. And so that is the story uh, of the riot that took place there in Ephesus. And uh, you've heard this statement. I've made this statement. Brother Patterson uh, has made this statement, and uh, and it's a very it's a very Uh, accurate statement that wherever Paul went there was either a riot or a revival and sometimes there were both of those. And that's what took place in Ephesus. When you read about Paul going uh, to, (coughs) when you read about him going to Ephesus, uh, he was there for three years and he taught and worked there. We mentioned in our lesson here a few weeks ago about how that When you read Revelation chapter two and three, the seven churches uh, that starts out with Ephesus and ends up with Laodicea, if you look on the map, what you will see is you'll see Ephesus down here kinda at the bottom, and then you'll see it start moving northward and kinda make a horseshoe shape around, and those seven churches and Ephesus is here, and Laodicea is all the way over here. All of those seven churches, or those six churches rather, uh, that started with that. Pergamus, Smyrna, Thyatira, uh, Philadelphia, Laodicea—all of those churches started out of the converts that Paul had there in Ephesus. And so you see that Paul did have a uh, an impact there. That just just is. Uh, they said, Demetrius said and accused him of, he said that not only has he worked here in Ephesus, but he's had an ext- he's had a, an overflow or he's had people uh, that have gone out from, from Asia uh, that have actually heard uh, the work of, or, or heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty important and significant that we can look at that this man touched that great land mass without the internet, without airplanes, without automobiles, without buses, uh, any kind of travel or communication. It was either walking or riding a a horse or a mule or a covered wagon or, or a boat or a ship or something like that, that Paul was able to be able to accomplish that throughout the work of his ministry. And yet there's times where that we have to understand that whenever the Lord and the church starts moving forward to take in new converts and to move into new territory, that the devil is gonna stand up and he's gonna do his best to try to hinder and to stop the work uh, of that. And, and there's times where, uh, in fact, this past week, somebody uh, made, asked me this question, said, you know, I really just have felt just an intense t- attack of the enemy and, and what you, you don't want to do is just throw your hands up in there and say, well, thank God, you know, that's not what I wanted to get, you know, because you, oh, you're you so coarse and uncaring and all this. But listen, if the enemy is attacking you, that means that you are doing something that is causing him to say, I've got to get in here and do whatever I can do to stop and to hinder the work of what God is doing in that particular person's life. And and I just encourage that person. Now, you can do one of two things. You can either meet it head on with prayer, with fasting, with worship, with reading the word of God, or you can just kind of run off and say, well, it's not worth the fight. I'm just gonna give up and get off into my corner and just you know, just kind of exist until the Lord uh, comes back. But that is not what the Lord has filled us with the Spirit for us to go sit off somewhere and just kind of lick our wounds and hope that it gets better at some point. The Lord has empowered us and has called us to be witnesses so that we can work and, and touch in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and there's all sorts of ways that the enemy can attack you. Anything that will cause you to fret, to worry, to fear, to get caught up, any of those things are things that the devil will try to use to try to stop uh, your forward progress. And so so it is that uh, there's times where that, that, that people shrink uh, back and they quit uh, what they're doing, but when you look at the life of Paul throughout the epistles and even throughout some of the writings in the book of Acts, there was an attitude or mentality uh, that Paul had. Look there in Acts chapter 20 and look in verses 22 through 24. Here, Here is what it says, and, and we'll get to this here in a couple of weeks, I, I hope. Um, He says this is Paul He's again coming back through Ephesus Before he's heading on his journey toward Rome And here's what he says in verse 22 And now behold I go bound in spirit unto Jerusalem Not knowing the things that shall befall me there Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth In every city saying That bonds and afflictions abide me Now think about that for a moment You hear what he's saying? He says, the Holy Ghost is saying to me that there are bonds and afflictions that is going to be with me. There's times where you think about, well, if the Lord blesses us, then there's gonna be financial blessing, there's gonna be all these things that that in my life everything is just gonna be going right. And yet Paul is saying, the spirit is saying that there are bonds and afflictions that's going to abide me. That's not the devil talking to him. That's not the world or his flesh. That is the spirit of God that's telling him that there's gonna be hindrances and obstacles. But look at what he says. He says, but none of these things move me neither count I my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. And so Paul uh, makes reference to that. But, but in, in another place, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. you ought to underline uh, that verse in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse one, therefore seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. I did not add uh, some other scriptures in there, but let's, if you've got your Bible uh, look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter four. This is a very good chapter, uh, and Paul makes reference to a lot of positive things. You, you, this scripture will be familiar. I'm sure you will remember this whenever I start to read it, but in 2 Corinthians four and seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And then here's probably what you remember. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so that passage there that Paul's encouraging us He's just letting us know that there's times where uh, that we think we are at our wit's end, but the Lord is still with you at that moment. 2 Timothy chapter one and verse 12, for the wit's cause I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And that day he's talking about is the day that he stands before the Lord in judgment. And so he's saying that I know that there's things I have committed to the Lord that he is going to help me to maintain that commitment. And then in Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse 20, the Bible says there, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, he's hungry, he's longing for something. He said that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also with Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I know not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now I'm gonna point out a couple of words here in this uh, in these words that I, in these verses that I have just read, look back in, in your notes there. Look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and look in verse 12, where he says, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And then look down in Philippians 1 and 20, and he says there again, That in nothing shall I be ashamed. Here, here's what the devil tries to do the devil works with shame. God works with conviction. But the enemy works with shame. There's a huge difference between shame and conviction. Shame works on the premise of embarrassment. It wants to bring up all the mistakes, all the sins, all the things that that you have done. And the enemy brings that up. And even sometimes our fleshly mind brings things up to try to bring us to a place of shame, some past sin, some past offense, something that has taken place and the devil wants to do his best to bring that up into your mind and into your spirit. Why is he trying to do that? It's because everything about the enemy is to try to trump the grace and the purpose of God. And he wants to destroy the grace of God in your life so that you throw in the towel and you say, there's there's no way the Lord can save me. There's no way that the Lord can do these things with me. But Paul is saying that there is something about the mission and the grace that we have received from God that helps us to be able to accomplish the task that he wants us to do. It's important whenever we look at scriptures like this to make certain that no matter what obstacles or hindrances that are in front of us, that we put those things to rest and we overcome them with a desire and a hunger and almost like a wheel that you say, is this is in my life and I won't. I want the Lord to work in my heart and in my spirit. And if there is a desire and a hunger, it's almost like you've got, like Jeremiah said, that uh, it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones. What what does that do? That helps us to have perseverance in ministry. And perseverance in ministry is an important thing because it doesn't matter whether you pastor a church or whether you teach Sunday school, or whether you are working with youth, or whatever you may do, whatever you may be involved in, there will be something that the enemy tries to do to slip you into a place of discouragement, to cause you to be a to say, I, "I just can't do this anymore." I remember hearing years ago, and I remember who I heard Chuck Swindoll say it, and. I've used it a a host of times, especially I'll use it again this weekend uh, at the district licensing seminar. But he said this, he said three-fourths of ministry is showing up. I just want to kind of let you think, three-fourths of ministry is showing up. Because here's what takes place. When you get to that place, now we need to be spiritually prepared and our hearts needs to be open and to be sensitive to the spirit, but here's what you need to understand, that if you show up, the Lord can work with that vessel. And the Lord can flow through us, but he can't flow through you if you are absent and you're not there. And, and again, that, that part is that we have to understand no matter what role that we serve in a local church that there has to be perseverance in ministry because that is a key ingredient into your faith. And I have a feeling that uh, there are a lot of places that they would have had great victory Uh, As a church, there are people that would have had great victory in their lives if they would have just continued on. And if they would have just kept, if they would have just stayed with it and stayed with it, and just kept on and kept moving, and and uh, and put things behind them that somebody said something to them and they got offended or upset about, put that behind you, move forward, and and made some mistake, and I wish I'd have done so and so different. You you have to, and forgive me for making this analogy, but they use it a lot in the in the athletic world is thats is that you've got to move on to the next play. You, you can't look back at the last one. It's already in the past. You've got to move forward and you've got to go forward. Now, here is what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, to the weak, 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some and I do this for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker thereof with you. And so he was getting to that part of saying that in the local church, in the church at Corinth, there were things that I had to do sometimes to become weak. And that's where we have to realize that whenever we serve in a local church, that there's times where we can't we can't just think. Well, everything has to revolve around my preferences. Everything has to revolve around what I want to do. It, what 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 would you do if if we brought a child's evangelist in here on Sunday night, and we parked all our kids up here and had a kids evangelist preaching to these kids? Now, is he talking to us as adults? No. But do we want our children to be filled with the Spirit? Absolutely. And so what we have to get in our mind is to say this, is that you know what, this service, this this whatever we're doing, this is for a specific group that we're trying to reach and we're trying to touch. I doubt that uh, you're gonna have these great revelations of the Spirit while he's preaching or while they're doing whatever they're doing. But if it can impact and touch children and children get in the altar and the Lord fill them with the Holy Ghost. That's the goal. And Paul was saying that there's times where to become as weak, I became weak, why? So that I might gain the weak. There, there was a drive inside of Paul that said that, that I'm not going to throw in the towel and quit in spite of the circumstances that are surrounding me at this moment. And know this, Every great Christian has had the opportunity to quit. I can remember years ago going to Because of the Times and hearing Sister Mangan one time. And of course, you know, you always hear her talking about prayer and teaching, preaching, various things, and just the inspiration that you feel from her when she's talking about that. But she made one, she said one time, she said that. Uh, they were facing some situations. Her and Elder uh, Brother Mangan were facing some situations there in the church in Alexandria. And she said she told him, I just want to take a long boat to China. (laughs) And I think we all at times feel like that, that we want to get on a boat that takes a long time to get to China because we want to get out from under that situation. But the Lord can use those situations to help us. And and there's times where that whenever you look at Paul's life, there was a divine dissatisfaction with what he saw that was taking place around him in the confines of the church, and he wanted more. And I realize that there's times when you come in here, and you see me, you think, man, he's balling it. Ever how much 450 degrees or ever how much water boils at whatever, you're like, oh my Lord, so intense. And so it's because we wanna see the Lord work and move instead of falling into the trap of apathy and laziness and lukewarmness and indifference. You let that take place in a church for about two years and it'll be deader than a bunch of frogs. Sail frogs. You know what sail frogs are? You don't see them too much like you used to, but years ago on the dirt road that we lived on, people run over frogs. It was trying to get across the road, and that old, old frogs and lay out there in that summer sun for about two or three days, and then you could go out there and you could pick that frog up and you could sail him kind of like a little small frisbee, and, and we have to be careful about that that we don't want the church to get to the place where we turn into a bunch of dead sail frogs, spiritually speaking. And so there's times where I have to stir the pot. And Brother Patterson has to stir the pot and, and the Lord has to work. Why, what are we trying to do? We're moving against the flow that makes all of us wanna just sometimes just settle in and enjoy the journey and, and, and yet we, we, we have to realize that too many Christians live with a sense of boredom about the church which is a foreign invader into the mind of the Apostle Paul. I heard a minister was talking about how that uh, years ago that he went over to the country of Poland. And uh, during that particular period of time, uh, he had some opportunities when he was in Poland to go over and to go into beyond what they at the time called the Iron Curtain. And uh, over a period of about four years' time, they smuggled in there somewhere between fifty to sixty thousand Bibles uh, that they got into the hands of those those people uh, that was there in that in those in those churches. And he got to talking about how that one of the groups met in a barn. And so he asked him, he said, well, what do y'all do whenever you are, when it rains? Is it wet inside of the barn? And what they would do is they put tarps. They had had tarps that they put over everybody and they, they scattered, they kind of covered them up. And uh, he said that then even during the winter time, he said that when it got cold and was snowing, snow would get inside of that barn. And so what they do is they wrap themselves up with quilts, and he said you could tell how long that the service lasted by the amount of snow that gathered in sometimes on those people that were sitting on those planks that they had kind of set up uh, for, <coughs> that they had set up in, in that church, and then he got to talking about going into a place where uh, that, that it was very much a place where that they were concerned uh, that they were gonna get caught, and so the ministry that he was working with at the time told him, he said, well, you can't take your Bibles because if you take a Bible, he said, that's gonna immediately key them in to the part that you are indeed a Christian. So they took their Bibles away from him. He said they were all just, just young men. And uh, he said that they, they got just very, very, uh, you know, we, we don't have our Bibles. What are we gonna do? And he said for the several hours there, for the, the days leading up to that, they had about a week's notice that they would memorize as much scripture as they could memorize. And he said sometimes they were memorizing two and three and four verses a day. And uh, I have to tell you, my my memorization skills have, have just kind of dropped off and I say I've gotten lazy with it, but there, there may be something that we need to get to the place where that we do memorize scripture. And he said that whenever he got into that church and he sat there, he said that what they would do is they would open up the congregation and they would let people get up. They didn't want them to testify. They didn't want them to say anything. They wanted them to quote scripture. Scripture. And he said there would be times where they would quote two or three verses here and there from the New Testament. He said, but there were other times that some of the elders would stand up and he said they would quote the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. There were others that would stand up and quote entirely the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously Psalm 23, he said, but whenever he heard those people quoting Isaiah 53 and the Sermon on the Mount, that he began to, he said it was just like there was a presence of the Lord that came into that church. And and I wonder here tonight what would happen to us if things all of a sudden changed overnight and they took our Bibles away from us or if we showed up here Sunday and the state troopers were outside and they had chained the doors and said, y'all are not coming in here. Could we serve the Lord on what we know from Scripture? And I'll be honest with you, I was convicted whenever I was listening to the man talk. Because I thought if the Lord, if if my Bible all of a sudden I'm fifty three years old and I started going back in my mind thinking about all the times that I have wasted reading. Not, not bad things, but just reading books, just, just reading just good fiction and you start realizing that all of those things, and I'm not saying go home and quit reading, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you tonight that there are spiritual matters in our lives that we oftentimes don't even think about. And I think some of that is by the design of the enemy. Is that the devil don't want us thinking about these kinds of things because I dare say, or at least I hope between now and Sunday, some of you're gonna go and you're gonna brush up on scriptures that you have memorized in the past and say, what would happen to me if I ended up that I did not have Brother Patterson preaching to me and that I was responsible for talking to people, you husbands here tonight, would you be able to be the priest of your homes and be able to give your family the spiritual uh, nourishment, feeding, whatever that they have, or would you be totally lost? We have to think about those things. And revival takes place in churches where people are hungry But there's gonna be riots and conflicts that's gonna take place as we move forward. There's there's never gonna be a place that we get to as a church where everything is just flowing smoothly and everything is just moving along and that sometimes is not all bad because what that does is that causes us to desire and to hunger for a work of the Spirit. And so I ask you this question. Have you prayed for the people that sits in front of you or behind you or beside you this week? Have you given consideration to the fact that this church, this local church right here is is the local body of Christ? And I I started again, started thinking, what, what am I investing my life in? As a leader, what, what, what am I doing? I pray inspiring you and encouraging you and sometimes convicting you and, and sometimes even upsetting you. But the part is, is it's not because it's malicious. It's because I'm trying my best to get myself and to you in that part to say this is the most important thing that we do in our lives. And so God began to work. When you look at what took place in Ephesus, John's John's disciples were uh, baptized there uh, in that uh, that place and and so Paul took care of that and then whenever he started working, then the next thing you know, when the revival breaks out, uh, the idols were the idol makers, it impacted their financial uh, status there and, and it began the conflict that Paul and his friends would have to face there. Now, there are some marks of revival that you see uh, from Acts chapter 19. I've got them listed there for you, but let's just look through them. The Word of God was preached. Special miracles of God were seen. False prophets were exposed. The fear of God struck men's hearts. The name of the Lord was magnified. The conversion of many took place. Superstitious books and charms were burnt and the word of God spread mightily in strength and power and triumphed over all. Now, here's the question. Are those things taking place in our church? And I... (laughs) I hope we don't have any false prophets, but if they do show up, we want them to be exposed. Um, special miracles of God were seen. I'm I'm just gonna revert back to the deal the deal with Sister Sam's two weeks, three weeks ago. I, I don't know if you grasp the hand of God working in her life. She is actively having a MI, a heart attack. Her troponin level is elevated, which is one of the indicators that you go in and you have your heart gets to acting up. You go to the ER and they draw blood out and they start digging. They get that uh, that troponin level and then start doing something called cardiac isoenzymes. Her blood was positive. She is having a heart attack. Her blood pressure is 220, 230, over 110 to 120. They put her on a nitroglycerin drip. They put her on a heparin drip. She said that some of the nurses that she knew came in the room and they were, she said she could see the concern that they had because they thought she was fixing to die. And they started doing everything they could to get her transferred from Jackson. Hospital up here to the medical center. It was about mid, about 12, 30 or so that Brother Sims called me and I, I, I was concerned about it enough to get up and to go, to go to the den and I just started reasoning with the Lord. I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, now you know far more than what I know. I said, but I'm just looking at this situation right now and Brother Sims and Jeremiah, they need Sister Sims. And then by the time she gets to the medical center, her blood pressure is normalized. They draw more blood, which is what they do routinely. They'll draw some blood, and then they'll wait a couple hours and draw some more, and then they'll wait six hours and draw some more. And, and they they say, we're, we're not seeing it. Then they go in, she's been a diabetic for almost 30 years. They go in and do a heart cath and they can't find anything that needs any kind of intervention or surgery at all, that's where you have to start realizing that was miraculous. I just wanna tell you, we, we look off at all these other places and think about miracles here, miracles there, when there are miracles that are taking place right up under our nose. And we don't need to forget that that the Lord is working in situations right here in our local church that if you step back, you can say that's a miraculous touch of God. And there's other times where in the last several years that, that, we, that we need to let our faith be built and to say that this church is not a bunch of second choice, second rate uh, you know stepchildren that the lord is not concerned about we are his body we are his children and the lord is working in our midst amen and so so again just through that list i hope that if we do have superstitious books and charms and occultic things that just know those things are not healthy for you and, and we need to get rid of them. The word of God then spreading. I want the word of God to spread outside of this church. Those small group Bible studies that we're starting in various homes around the city, that's a very good place for the Lord to work. I want the word to be taught and preached in here on uh, Wednesday nights. And Brother Patterson and myself and our lay ministers are working in And uh, if you wonder, I know some of you think, boy, my preaching has has changed. I'm just walking through passages of scripture. Uh, I've been doing that for several years now. I I just wanna just let you know, the most solid preaching that we can have is when we walk through this Bible and point out things. And I did that Sunday night uh, with Psalm 113, praise the Lord. That there is that part that we have much to praise the Lord about because scripture, what I say, what Brother Patterson says is going to pass away. But the word of the Lord is going to stand forever and we cannot do anything better than to just preach the word of God. And so we read in Acts 19 verses 20 and 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia uh, to go to Jerusalem saying after I have been there I must also see Rome and so he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him Timotheus or Timothy and Erastus but he himself stayed in Asia for a season now this brief reference right here that Paul that's taking place with Paul is here's what Luke is doing Luke Luke puts this in under the inspiration of the spirit and what he does is he maps out what's fixing to take place for Acts 21 all the way through Acts 28 because Paul says I'm gonna go to Macedonia and Achaia in Acts 20 verses 1 through 3 that's common He would go around and he would go to these churches where that he established and he would go back and visit them and encourage them uh, as they were growing. You find that in Acts 14, 15, 16. You find him mentioning that throughout his epistles. 1 Corinthians 4, 18 through 21. 1 Corinthians 16, verses three through seven and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 13 too, and then in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 18, and then in in 1 Thessalonians uh, 3 and 1, and verse 5 and verses 10 and 11, there's also a part where that if you wanna see uh, somewhat of a summary uh, of Paul's travels is go look in Romans 15, and when you get down about halfway through the chapter, then he starts recounting again, these were the places that I went to, these were the places that I visited. I I wanna just encourage you here tonight, maybe you you do this, maybe you don't. I do this, and the reason I do this is because if I I get invited off to somewhere, I wanna make sure that I know what I preach there, so I won't go back and preach a rerun. And I do that to y'all. I try to keep up with where I preach, what I preach, what scriptures I've done, and all that sort of stuff. But but I, I wonder if you were to sit down and you had a record of the places that you visited, the places you've gone to, the places that you have have uh, taught in the word of God, the scriptures. I'll tell you, you Sunday school teachers in here, if you were to start developing a journal and you wrote down all the lesson text and the titles that you have taught through, that would be a very motivating factor in your effort in that Sunday school and all of a sudden it would take on even more of a dynamic. I know most of, some of the Sundays, a lot of Sunday school teachers are over in children's church over there tonight, but it would change how you looked at those Sunday school classes because you would start asking yourself the question, how much of scripture am I covering? How how much am I opening up and how much am I sharing? And that's what Paul was doing. He was just recounting the places that he was going. And so now what Paul is saying is he's saying, I want to get the message of Jesus Christ. I want to get it to Rome. I want the Caesar to hear what is being said. And so throughout the rest of the book of Acts, where he goes to other places, Jerusalem is taken up with Acts 21 15 through Acts 23, 30. And then he gets to Rome in Acts 28, verses 16 through 31. And in between those stops, between Jerusalem and between the trip to Rome, when you start reading what Luke writes about, he gets in there, there are shipwrecks, there are centurions he runs into. There is a fire that a viper comes out of and latches onto his hand in Acts 28 there on the uh, the island of Malta. <clears throat> and, and it's all of these travels that Paul's going on that he begins to realize this is what we're doing for the kingdom of God. I got a feeling that most of us, if we were to start counting up all our travels, it would be vacations and restaurants we've ate at and amusement parks we've visited and and various other things. And uh, good timing as they say it. But I just wanna just encourage you here tonight to, to know this, that if the Lord's gonna use you, you're probably gonna have to be Mobile. You're probably going to have to get out and talk to some people and and witness to some people and and the people that you work with or that you go to school with. What kind of impression are you making on them? If they look at you as an individual, would they say that this person right here is a Christian? Or would they say, man, that guy's the biggest hypocrite that's ever lived. I wouldn't want anything to go. I would never go to the church where he says he goes to. And again, what does that do? That gives the devil an opportunity to blaspheme the church and the cause of Christ. And I think that all of us probably have met people uh, like that before that we thought, you know, my goodness, what in the world are, are they doing you know, they, they call if they're if they're say, boy, I'm I i do not have to worry about anything, I'm okay. You ever thought that? I know none of y'all ever thought that, but I've had that thought a time or two. I thought, well, I'll tell you what, if they're fine and I know I'm and that is a mistake. That is a huge mistake. Because that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants to get you looking around. And when you start looking around, what does it do? It diminishes the impact or the potential that the Lord has in your life. So what do you do? You get your blinders up. And you ignore and pray and move forward and have a focus. And so now we come to that part where Demetrius starts his defense of idolatry. Look in verse 23 of Acts 19. And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsman, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost all or almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only I got my pages out of order, y'all page five, that not only is our craft in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. <coughs> now here's where Luke comes along and he starts helping us to see that that nasty, filthy, filthy, serpent, the devil <clears throat> raises up his deadly head again and he doesn't come as a deceiver like in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 3 through 4 but he comes as a destructive enemy, First Peter 5 and 8 our enemy can anybody tell me what First Peter 5 and 8 says? as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour What was was Peter's Peter's words whenever he said, how how are you going to deal with this roaring lion? How does he start that, Brother Wells? For your enemy is as a roaring lion. He tells us to do something. He tells us to do two things. Be sober and be vigilant. Be awake, be alert, because your adversary is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so he now is about to come as a destructive enemy and as a murderer. And so what does he do? He starts inciting a riot against Paul and his brethren, and he uses Demetrius at that point to be the spokesman and the agitator. Now, Demetrius, who was he? He was a craftsman that employed a large group of silversmith that made idols of the goddess Diana, or you may see it as another term as Artemis. Now, if you go, I started to put it on here, a picture of it on here for you, but I thought, no, nah, I'm not gonna do that. But if you look at the way that it was designed, here's what you will see. You will see those silversmith that are making these idols, that they have both male and female parts. Now, what does that, does that even resonate? He's like, oh, why in the world would you even bring that up? Well, y'all, you I mean, the generation we live in now that deal with the transgender right. deal, the confusion that is in some people's minds, right. that's not something that's new. Right. That, that's, that's been going on for thousands of years. Right. And all of a sudden, it's like it jumped, and we're like, oh my goodness, it's like, my, how in the world did, is because that confusion about gender identity these idols demonstrated that. And when you go all the way back, and you go home, don't Google it now, but if you go and you Google the image of the goddess Diana or Artemis, what do you see? You will see that both male and female attributes that that idol has. And Demetrius and his silversmith were making a killing off of that. They were were making a whole lot of money about that. And so whenever he starts feeling like that, hey, my business and my money is about to be hindered by that because of Paul's preaching, then I need to go after that. Now, I want you to look at a phrase there in verse uh, 23. You see where that phrase says? uh, When he talks about it, he says about that way. What, what was he talking about? Luke was writing about the way of the Lord, which was the message of Jesus Christ for salvation. Earlier in, I think it's in Acts 13, that they again speak of the way. And you remember what Jesus said? I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And Jesus is the way. And so Luke interjects that. He said the way, so what does the way do? It disturbed the greedy and the materialist. The way was falsely accused and attacked. The way required great courage and wisdom. The way was the object of the mob action and the way was miraculously protected by God. Now Paul, whenever he writes the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32, here's what he says. He says, I fought the beast at Ephesus. And there are some that feel like that this was the instance where, that he was talking about whenever he had to deal with Demetrius because here's what had happened. The devil had been repeatedly defeated for for about three years. And now if he could come along, incite this mob to kill Paul, which is what he really wanted to happen and to take place, then it would be advantageous to him for the kingdom of God. But it's also important for us to look and to see, and I know people may feel funny about what I'm fixing to say, but so be it. We don't see Paul publicly politicking and picketing out in front of the temple, out in front of the temple of Diana. He didn't have all his guys up out there holding up um, banners and and placards and signs and all that. They weren't doing that. He didn't try to get involved in some political matter to say that, hey, we need to try to stop uh, doing these particular things. He didn't organize protest rallies of public opposition. He was simply involved in preaching and teaching the truth on a daily basis. I'm gonna tell you what, an apostolic church can accomplish a whole lot if we stick to Acts chapter six and verse four, which is prayer and ministry of the word. And what did Paul do? That's exactly what he done. He did that every day, teaching in that classroom, in the school of Tyrannus, in, in various places where that he was constantly teaching and working to get the word in the lives of people. We don't see him doing big miracle crusades. I need to cough about three or four times because if there's people listening to me, they're like, oh my Lord, what kind of heresy is he talking about? But we don't. We don't see. What do we see Paul doing? We see him engaging with people, and a lot of that was in a teaching or a preaching setting. But now what we got it we we got we want the prophet to speak to us we want the prophet to call us out and oh yeah I perceive that your name yeah back there on the back roads back there he, his name is Mark and and uh, Mark has got this going on in his life and the Lord's going to people are wild by that kind of stuff and it's absolutely you're calling them out saying you you got the chlamydia is going on and if you will come up here we'll get the chlamydia cast out of you or healed or whatever problem it's causing. want to operate in the gifts of the spirit. want to have a big show. That was never the intention whenever the Lord's purpose and plan was being worked out. Because here's what takes place. Those guys, a lot of them, operate on gullible, sincere, and honest people. And I, I have thought about this a, a whole lot here in recent years. I, I thought my, my granny, who was, who was a prayer warrior, who was a godly woman, that if she would have been brought into one of those sessions like that, that I got a feeling that because of her sincerity and her honesty of heart, she probably would have emptied out her bank account because she thought that that was authentic. But but I'm just gonna tell you this, the more of this that you get in your heart and your spirit, the more discernment that you start having. And you start saying, look guys, we don't need to be pulling rabbits out of hats. We don't need to be trying to get everybody healed. If we'll preach the gospel and let people be converted, the miracles, the signs and the wonders that everybody's taking place are looking for, they'll take place on their on their own. They 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 will. They all we have to do is we preach the gospel and get the message out there and see people converted, the Lord will take care of those things. I've been at it long enough now that personal experience has shown that to me that if we will just show up and have good services where the spirit of the Lord works, there's so many things that takes place that the Holy Ghost works that you don't ever have to worry about, oh, we gotta get Prophet Smith in here, Prophet such and so. If we will just follow what the Lord has laid out. Okay, but here's the challenge. It's it's not very sensational what we're doing right now. <laughs> and y'all forgive me, I need to quit before I get in trouble. I go all to places and and uh, <clears throat> I get to telling people's like, well, "What what do y'all do there?" I said, "Well, I said I grew up in that church and Brother Patterson, he just." He just taught Bible studies on Wednesday nights and we just went through the Bible and we had prayer meetings and we sold some peanut brittle and we knocked on some doors and we did this and y'all didn't do any of this other kinda of, and they start naming so no we didn't we didn't do too much of that. We just kinda we just kinda just did what we did and and uh, and now I'm just telling you from traveling around, I wouldn't trade what we have here for a million dollars. For ten million dollars, I mean the spirit of the Lord and the liberty and the freedom that I feel in this sanctuary. Now I'm just—I I will be. I'll t- I, do. I get discouraged. Oh my Lord! Ask my wife. Do 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 I ever feel like my goodness? Of I I would I, I've never made a bad decision. Lord, I'm not even sure you call me to preach. I need to. Go get me honest jobs. That's what Brother Arnold says. Go get an honest job and do something, quit taking advantage of people. Do I get discouraged? Oh yeah, I get discouraged. I get to places where I'm like, I told my wife today, I said, said, Teresa, it's pretty boring my life to a certain degree. So why do you say that? I said because I'm always trying to write the next sermon, trying to write the next Bible study, trying to plead with the Lord, Lord, please rain down some manna on this poor soul today because everybody's expecting me to say or to do something Sunday. But I'm just going to tell you I have learned this that sometimes in the mundane of the routine that God does powerful things in our lives. He does fantastic things in our hearts and our spirits if we will just stay faithful. And so I wanna encourage you here tonight. You may be having riots. Demetrius may be yelling at you. We'll get to this next, next week that for two hours they're shouting, great as a goddess Diana. You may have the world ringing in your ears, but listen to me. When the Lord steps in, the whole crowd will be dismissed and you'll walk out of there and the Lord's got, you gotta go to Achaia, you gotta go to Macedonia, you gotta go to Jerusalem and you gotta go to Rome and I'm gonna get you from point A to point B. You just trust in me. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's ask the Lord to help us. I hope I hadn't bored you to death but maybe you got something good out of it. But, the Lord's good to us. Don't let that coronavirus worry y'all. Don't don't get all panicky about that. Everybody just seems to me just going the flu has killed way more people than the coronavirus has. It's a political football right now. And I'm not sure what's motivating it except for the confusion that the enemy would try to bring to people's minds and spirits. But we need to put our confidence and trust in the Lord that he's gonna take care of us. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for your word.